Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we interview inspiring people from around the globe who are uplifting their community by finding solutions to our world's problems. My name is M. Barrett, and I am your host. And I hope that you'll get as inspired as I am by meeting these everyday people doing extraordinary things. Bausi Ocean Awareness Programs is an organization that holds an annual youth art contest to promote ocean conservation. What began 10 years ago as a local essay contest with only 68 submissions is now a global and multidisciplinary platform. Reaching almost 30,000 teenagers from all around the world, Bausi is much more than just an art competition. Through their yearly themes, the contest brings youth together to learn, to create, and to connect on the subject of climate change and ocean conservation. Today, they have an impressive archive of powerful art that they showcase through their online gallery and in-person shows. And on top of that, with their Future Blue Youth Council, they support alums of the contest in their water conservation projects through their fellowship grant program. I've been following Bausi for a couple of years now, and I'm so impressed by their work. What really caught my eye is how a simple idea like an art contest can contain so many complex layers that have a positive impact on education, on climate change, and most importantly, on giving agency to youth for them to take action. In this episode, I spoke with the founder of Bausi, Linda Cabot, and the program manager at Bausi, Eric Karstens, and they were both so passionate about education and ocean conservation. It was a complete delight to talk to them both about Bausi and to learn more about this wonderful organization. So I hope that you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Here is Eric and Linda. Thank you so much for being here, Eric and Linda. It makes me really happy to have you both here. This is actually the first time that I have a three-way interview. Usually it's me and another person, so this is really exciting. Welcome to the Inspire. I uh, just wanted to start off the conversation by just asking you both how you're doing today. Yeah. Eric, I'm... oh yeah, Linda, yeah. you can start. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I know, it's, it's hard with the two people, but this is awesome. And thank you for having us. I'm calling in from... Chile, Colorado. It's minus two degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm working here and then I try to ski in the afternoon. So. Oh, that's great. Sounds fun. And yeah. how are you, Eric? And where are you calling me from? So I'm in Somerville, Massachusetts right now. So just north of Boston, just across the river. Um, and we're having opposite weather today. It's it's a little balmier than than usual. It's in the mid 40s in Fahrenheit and it's been raining and snowing and slushy the past couple of days but today it seems to be holding off so I'm really excited for that and hoping to get outside a little bit later today as well. All right well let's jump into to Bausi and everything so I wanted to start off with Bausi and how it all got started what's the story behind Bausi I know Linda you're the founder of Bausi so maybe I'll let you take that one to start with. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it all began about, I would say, 13 or 14 years ago. I did a documentary with my daughters about overfishing and seabird restoration off the coast of New England in the Gulf of Maine. And we did this on a sailboat. And the reason that I did it is that I wanted to teach my then young daughters, now they're in their 20s, about biodiversity and some of the issues facing the Gulf of Maine. But I thought the best way to do it is more of this hands-on experiential learning because they can retain that learning more and it's more fun. So after I completed this documentary, I thought, 
okay, I, I just loved doing this. I loved working with my young daughters. I loved teaching about the ocean. What can I do? So I started an essay contest about these three questions that I was wondering about at the Gulf of Maine. So we had an essay contest for a couple of years, but I watched my grown daughters in high school hating writing essays. I'm an artist myself. So then I said, why don't we just do it more of an art contest? And that's when Bowsey really took off. And um, we started in just high school, then we went to middle school because teachers were saying, please open it up to middle school. And then we grew to not just doing art, but poetry, music, dance, multimedia. And Eric joined, I think about two years ago now. And he's even seen some of the growth that we've had. But that's basically how it got started. It was really organic. And I'm just surprised by the growth and the interest in the program, which is awesome. Yeah, it is really awesome. And it's super inspiring as well. Like how, I mean, the story behind it of you going off and doing a project with your your two daughters and that turning into an incredible organization that it is today. That's so beautiful. And like you were saying, Eric, you've joined a little later and I know that you work on a lot of different things at Bowsey. I've been talking with you back and forth on so many different topics. So maybe I thought you could tell me a little bit about the programs that Bowsey runs today and how it works and how it runs and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So our flagship program is still the Ocean Awareness Contest that Linda started. That started with the essays and then grew to include art and all of these other forms of creativity. So that is, to this day, open to students from around the world between the ages of 11 to 18. It is totally free to enter, and we have a yearly theme. So it changes every year. Last year, we did the funny thing about climate change, which... Um, I know the judging team, we all had a lot of fun looking through those submissions. Um, and this year, we're asking students to explore climate heroes, kind of what, like what you do at the Inspirer, is look for, especially when we think about climate change media and journalism, and the stories and what you hear is very doom and gloom, problem-focused. So we want students to push past that and move to the hope Piece and research and uplift people who are doing things to make sure that the bad news, these scary stories that we're hearing, are not the end. And with our contest, anyone who enters is eligible to win cash awards of up to $1,500. And we love to share student art, whether that's at museums, galleries, theaters, through our social media page. We've hosted film festivals in the past for some of our film submissions. So we do a lot to not only collect the student art, but make sure that other people are seeing it and that these student voices are being amplified and spread. Yeah, that's really important because the contest in and of itself is really awesome. The art, I mean, I've seen a lot of it and it's just mind blowing. And I really love the theme of this year. I definitely am so interested to see what kind of art is going to come out of that because a lot of the art that I've seen from previous years is very emotional and I know a lot of kids are suffering from eco-anxiety and like that feeds into like a lot of depressive states and things like that and and you can see also in some of the pieces that it's like very, it's a little dark and it's like there's no hope for the future. So it's super exciting. Well, I'm excited to see what's going to come out of this year's theme. It's an empowering theme, definitely. 
Yeah, I would just say that's exactly why we chose it is because we do work with so many youths from around the globe, including we have our Future Blue Youth Council. And climate dread, climate anxiety, climate grief is all a real thing. And there was a recent Lancet report coming out talking about how 45% of youth around the world are really struggling with this climate dread. So we thought if kids can research these everyday heroes doing climate work or earth justice work, it will give them a sense of hope that things are really getting done, that people care, that people want to make a difference. And so we're really hoping this can make our students feel more hopeful. And that was the whole intent beyond picking this theme. We are concerned that we just don't want portraits of these people or just biographies. And we hope they can dip below the surface and feel very creative and have license to create what's really meaningful to them. Yeah. And I'm sure also it's very, I mean, the fact that like when you have a theme to work from, then you have to go into a research phase of like adapting to the theme and also like, you know, that tickles your creativity. So, I mean, that's like a really great thing to put kids into contact in researching these things, because maybe that's not have been the case as much if they weren't interested in entering the contest. That's one of the things that I've picked up when I was looking up what you were doing as well is like there's just so many facets to the work that you're doing. It's like the teenagers who enter the program, the contest, they gain knowledge about climate conservation or ocean conservation. And then you have a huge database of incredible art as well that can be displayed or shared and amplify the voices of these teenagers. And there's also the contest itself. So it's just like there's lots of layers to what you're doing. And it's I find that fascinating. And I'd love you to tell me a little bit more from your perspective, why you think it's really important to get students to express themselves on climate change and ocean conservation through their art and using their creativity. Well, I'm an artist myself, and I do feel that I express myself best through my hands. And first of all, number one, it's a wonderful way to teach about our earth crisis and also about climate change. Because as you just mentioned, they do, we have a resource studio that they can go, they can learn about. But when you create something with your hands or just even using your creativity, I find that you then have a personal connection to the subject. And when you have this more personal, I would say emotional connection, the learning is, I think, deeper. It, you get better retention rates. There are studies around this. And it's actually, a, I think, a very beautiful, wonderful way to learn and to gain knowledge. But it also creates a sense of agency with kids versus just reading about something or a passive learner when they are actively creating something. It gives them a sense of agency and hope as well. The final thing is I think we just need more avenues to talk about climate change. And creativity is a, is a key one. And I think that kids seem to really love it and resonate well with it. So that's, that's what I was thinking. Thanks, Linda. Eric, do you have anything to add to that? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, like, art is such a great entry point for so many students to maybe learn about these climate issues, like you were saying. 
And I was thinking back to like my own education when I was growing up. When I was a little kid, I would say two things that really like defined me is that I thought I was like very creative. I loved art classes, all of that. And I loved animals. And like those, those are my two like major things. But I think as I grew up, those things became separate. And I almost felt like I had to make a choice between like, are you a science person or are you an arts person? And there were two separate spheres with no overlap at all. Um, and it wasn't really until college and even after college where I was able to dip my toes back into the arts world and say like, oh, actually, like, this is a totally valid way to think about science, to talk about science. So... What I'm seeing, and this is really great, is that it's moving a little bit away from those like two separate spheres and becoming more merged with like STEM becoming STEAM in a lot of places. But if there are any students who are maybe considering themselves on the art side, like don't want to touch science, this is maybe a way for them to get involved and think about how these issues that they may not have thought about too much before may connect to their daily lives and also understanding that creating art is a valid way to do something about it. It's a way to make your voice heard. There are so many different ways to speak up for the environment and creating awareness through arts is a really, really valuable one. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I'm, it makes me think of like so many different ways that we are like sensitizing ourselves to various different topics through comics and like drawings and things like that like even on my social media my personal page like I'll follow a bunch of people who are creating art to like talk about their experience or talk about a specific topic and there's something that's so relatable and enjoyable about learning through that medium so I definitely see that <laughs> and it's super super cool and yeah you were talking also a little bit about the youth council that you have and I would love you to talk a little bit more about that because I realized I didn't put it in my line of questioning, but I know it's a really important part of Bowsy, and I'd love for you to get to talk about that too. I'll just start off because, and then Eric can fill in because for many years, I would say six or seven years, our team, we loved the program, but it was all online. And I miss the face-to-face -face or getting to know the kids more personally. And we always talked about, well, what can we do and how do we resolve this problem? And then we came up with this idea for this Future Blue Youth Council. And we're now in our third year. And I'll let Eric talk more about what we do with it because it's fascinating with this grant program. But me personally, I just, it's so wonderful for me to get to know these amazing, amazing kids. And it's really the highlight of Bowsteep for me now is working with these 14 kids who, um, and it's a very competitive judging process to get them in. And we do call them the 14 little fishes. But maybe Eric, <laughs> you could talk more about exactly what we're doing there. Yeah, so we're on our third council now. And I would say each council has had like slightly different tasks and it evolved and grown and changed. So our very first youth council in 2021, they helped us start our fellowship program that Linda had mentioned. So they set the groundwork for all of that, rolled out the applications, got everything going. And the fellowship is a grant program for new and emerging water-related projects for any student or any um, 
Balseat alum who's working on one of these projects is welcome to apply for one of these grants. So our first group got that off the ground and running. And then as soon as the first group of grantees came on board, our second council started and they were responsible for mentoring these projects, overseeing them, helping them out, acting as liaisons between the fellowship grantees and the Bowseat team and their fellow council members, which was a really valuable experience. I would say we had a lot of successes. A lot of the projects worked really well, and we also learned a lot. So we've tweaked the fellowship a little bit. Um, we used to have year-long fellowship cycles and discovered that a lot of the groups like don't need that much time or could use like longer amounts of time. Um, the, the year bound was like not necessarily helpful for everyone. So we've changed it to accept rolling applications and the projects are, the grants are more project based depending on what the grantee needs. And now our third Future Blue Youth Council will be mentoring these projects as they come in, reviewing applications, and then there's a whole slew of other projects they can work on from writing blogs, giving workshops or outreach to help bring more people into the Bowseat community. So there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of freedom. And it's just been a lot of fun getting to know these students from all over the world face to face. Yeah, it's 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 such a great a great thing for Bowsy, but it's also really important for us as a team to make sure that we create this like really nurturing, warm environment for these young kids. They're all doing so much for the climate, but I think they are looking for a community that feels safe and that they can express themselves. And they say that one of their highlights is first of all, they're from all over all over the world, like I just wrote down, Turkey, New Zealand, China, Peru, India, Canada, Malaysia, Colombia, England, USA. So part of it is we also have leadership uh, speakers come in. We'd actually maybe love you to come in and talk to them. And the other thing that we also try to do, Eric's really good at this, is creating games for them. So we do family feuds. We do all these learning games and get to know you games. But it, it is it is really important for them to not only do their work, but to feel that they're part of a supported community. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really important, actually, because bouncing back from what we were talking about before, about all the eco-anxiety and all the climate grief and things like that, like having a place where you have community and where you can take action, where you have a role, where you have people around you and a team to work with, like that just definitely helps so much already and like on a mental health scale and also it just makes things happen and it's incredible and I'm just curious about the fellowship program what kind of projects do you get um, asked or that you fund through that fellowship we've gotten a range so our only real requirements are that it is water related so it involves environmental issues that connect to water the ocean fresh water and that they have some sort of creative component as well. So thinking to last year, we had a student who would collect plastic bags and then helped employ women in India, where the student is from, to crochet these bags, kind of convert them into yarn, crochet them into mats that can be distributed out to the like unhoused populations around there, which one gets a lot of plastic out of the 
the rivers and the waterways around there, but also provides some form of comfort. The plastic mats are comfortable. They don't, don't just feel like you're sleeping on plastic, but they're also um, keep away like lice and other, other bugs like that, which was a really, really cool project. Um, we also had another student in India who lived near these water temples and engaged the community and these young kids to create environmental murals on the water temples um, and ran a series of lessons, had events, and really brought the community together to think about water and like reflect on their community's water and engage more people in protecting it. I'm trying to think. We had we had so many good ones. We had a group there in There was Mongolia. a really good Oh, yeah. Yes. So, well, I'll start with the Mongolia one. <laughs> they were a group who did an awareness campaign. There is a sewage system in their town that was contaminating a lot of the water. And they knew that a lot of people in their community are active on Facebook. So they created this Facebook campaign and they interviewed people and they created all sorts of information to help spread awareness about like how to prevent water contamination and and maintain like healthier waterways in their community. That's incredible. I mean, all these projects are so mind blowing. Like I didn't, I had no idea about the fellowship that you had developed and how you were actually actively working to fund and to support projects beyond the contest. Like that's so incredible. I'm learning something new about Baosu today and I've been following you guys for a while. <laughs> it's so awesome. So thanks for sharing all these awesome projects. That's like super inspiring. And I guess the next thing I wanted to ask you, which is <laughs> probably a little hard because I mean everything I'm hearing right now I'm like wow this is so important this is so important is uh what is the most important thing in your opinion about what you're doing at Bausi? Uh, I mean gosh it, it's hard to just name one thing but I do you can, think you can make it plural you can you can name okay. a couple I'll I mean, give you that <laughs> I, I think I mean Eric knows the exact numbers but we've reached almost 30,000 kids from around the globe and for me it, it, it is spreading awareness about our earth crisis and what's happening about climate change and what's happening to our oceans. So I think having this type of impact is, is for me at least, one of the, the most important things. The second thing is what we talked about a little bit earlier, but it's just to uplift these kids and to create spaces for these young people to express themselves with creativity, but also to have them feel that they're supported by the adults in their world as well. Yeah, I think another really important thing is that we have this huge community or this like huge collection of student artwork that we hear from students afterwards who are really inspired by it. It inspires their practice and their work. Um, and they also just hear that they are not alone. There's like a whole gigantic community of students out there who share the same ideals as them and who are also fighting. I know one student said like their family um, this was in a we asked for a feedback survey about their experience participating in the contest and one student said like they come from a family that doesn't believe in climate change and belittles anytime they're talking about it or express concern about it um, and so they found a lot of solace in the contest and seeing that there were so many other people on the same page as them which I think is an incredibly important part of this contest. 
Yeah, that's really beautiful. That can be life-saving as well. So that's really, really cool. And thank you for sharing your perspectives on that. And you were talking a little bit about impact, Linda, and I'd love to dive a little bit deeper about the impact of Bausi. And if you could talk a little bit about the feedback that you've been getting from the work that you're doing, or like you were saying, maybe there's numbers that you'd like to share. I know that that you have some of those numbers. So maybe, Eric, you can talk about them because you might have them actually off your head. But if not, we can talk about other types of impact too. (laughs) Yes, I will say I don't have the numbers directly off my head, but I expected (laughs) this question, so I have them in front of me. So I (laughs) I can give you exact numbers. So we've reached students in 138 different countries around the world. We've reached, as Linda said, almost 30,000 students, and we've given over $600,000 away in scholarship. And I mentioned earlier, we have this student survey that we ask. And so I have some like interesting and really hopeful numbers that come from that. 77% of the students who participate in the contest learn more about climate change through the process of submitting to the contest. What Linda said earlier about creating art um, is really personal and it creates like deeper learning. Um, You build personal connection. 83% of our students say that they've built personal connections with climate change. 65% of our students say that they changed their worldview or behavior based on what they've learned. And I think one of my favorite statistics that we have, because we ask this before we give out any awards, we can't unfortunately give awards to every student who participates, but 76% of them still say they have more confidence in their creative skills after participating in the contest. Wow. That's really, those are really powerful numbers. (laughs) They're really, yeah, that's really awesome. And it's really exemplifies everything that you've been saying so far since we started talking. And I don't know, Linda, if you have a version of impact that you want to talk to as well that you can think of. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's, it's hard to always just sort of dwindle things down to numbers, but the numbers do represent something. And I think What I also love about this program is that it's a global program. And I think that kids feel connected that this is a global problem and it's not sort of, you know, national or nationalistic. And I love this global aspect of it. And I think, I mean, truthfully, this is how we're going to solve this this problem. And what I do find also for impact is that so many of these kids then feel inspired or connected to then do their own projects. And many of them have created mini bow seats around the globe. So in their schools, they have art and climate change. And I love that that sort of, we have these little offsprings running around. And then I'm I'm just trying to think else of of impact. And I think what's really important is that just to give these kids they can write it on their resume that they've won these awards, that they've participated. It helps them with their careers, I hope, and gives them some confidence. Yeah. Well, that's just all very inspiring, really, because um, I keep saying it's inspiring. I'm so inspired <laughs> by what you do. <laughs> um, because, I mean, it's so many layers that it touches. And the concept in and of itself is relatively simple. It's a contest. And you started out as like a small essay contest going back from making a documentary to having this huge global community of young artists submitting 
incredible, powerful work. I'm sure the road hasn't always been easy. And I'd love to, if you were okay to share, like some of the challenges that you've faced through this journey and, and how you deal with them. Yeah, I mean, again, it just started off with this whimsical idea. And we went from the first year, we had 67 submissions. And now some years we get 6,000 and it is, so it's grown by leaps and bounds. And I would just say starting small was really helpful. And we just built year after year. And I'm just fortunate that we've worked with some amazing people. And like even having Eric on board now is wonderful. And we have Anne and this woman, Chris, and it's just, you know, I would say actually now my greatest worry is AI generation, generative art and essays. And to me, this is, I think, the thing that worries me the most of my 13 years of doing this, because it is a now teachers, educational systems, schools are all concerned about this. It's very hard to regulate. And yet, you could just type in, I want to create a piece of art in the style of Van Gogh with ocean animals struggling beneath the Antarctic or something. And it will come up with this amazing image. And it culls from other artists that have already created it. And it's not fair to these other artists, but it's... So anyway, we are, as a team, grappling with this issue. And we may have to reframe some of the contest questions or the process or something. But it's not just something we're struggling with. A lot of educational, you know, schools and systems are as well. Wow, that's so interesting. I was not expecting an answer like that (laughs) at all. I mean, I've heard a little bit about this, but wow, yeah, of course. That makes a lot of sense. And Eric, do you have anything to add or perspectives about this question as well? Yeah, going like back to like on the topic of AI, It is so interesting and scary to see how fast it's growing. Like there aren't really, we always, for every contest, we do a plagiarism check. We um, like reverse image search. Like we want to make sure like people are submitting their original work. And if it was inspired by anything that they're citing it, which of course AI isn't citing these other resources. And We took a test as a team one time, basically to see, it showed us a bunch of images and writing and music, and we were trying to figure out like which ones were AI and which ones were not. Um, And it's really challenging. So we are talking with and keeping an eye on what like universities are doing, what other organizations are doing. And it's really fascinating to follow along and try to figure this out. We're hoping like tools are being developed to start detecting AI and we really don't know the impact it'll have on our contest yet. So it's, yeah, it's something we're thinking about and like following and in awe of and also concerned about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's in awe of and concerned about is definitely the right definition about how I'm (laughs) feeling right now. I'm like, Wow. Like, I mean, it feels like so far away in the future and yet it's popping up everywhere. And of course it it would impact the work that you do. And it's really important to protect that. And so I guess that leads me into thinking about what's, you know, I, you, 
it seems like you've got a working recipe right now and it's great but I just wanted to know what was most coming next at Bausi whether it's in like developments or in the next coming months or anything that's a, it's a very open question yeah so the fellowship that I had mentioned earlier we changed our application from that like year-long cycle to rolling applications so students are welcome to submit pretty much whenever. The one requirement is that you are a Bowseed alum, but of course you can easily apply to the 2023 contest and instantly become eligible for it. So we're really excited to see that program grow and have the 2023 Future Blue Youth Council take on more projects there. Another thing in our education department that we are working on is creating a more robust teacher training. So a lot of students find the contest on their own and enter it on their own, but some get it through their teachers. Their teachers will bring it to their class as a required assignment, as an optional assignment, extra credit, all of the above. So one thing we want to do is make it easier for teachers to bring the contest to their classroom, provide a lot of resources for them, build these relationships with these teachers. So if they have any questions or if they want us to come in and talk to their students, that those avenues are open. So that is something in the strategizing and formulating phase right now that we're hoping to roll out in the next few months. Yeah. And Eric is being modest. This is his brainchild. <laughs> Came up with this really clever idea. We do a lot of work with teachers in schools, but he suggested if we get working with teachers, then they have 30 kids and it can spread the impact around more. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what this is going to develop into. And I think teachers will also like getting to know other teachers in their area who may be concerned about arts and climate change and integrating in a more STEAM way to configure with the kids. And then I would just say, lastly, every year we come up with a different theme. And so for this next year, we haven't, I mean, it's, we're still early for the fall next year, but it's always fun to think about a theme that's relevant to the times. So that's also coming up this summer. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the new theme, although I am very, very excited <laughs> about this year's theme. <laughs> so you announced the theme and then you announced the winners of the past year right and so where can you find those art is it on your website is the easiest place to find the the art from last year's themes and the previous years as well yes so on our website we do have a gallery of all the previous winning submissions all the way back to the very first essay contest and that has like the art you can access all the films there all the interactive and multimedia, everything. So that's on our website, which is bowseat.org. I believe it's backslash gallery, but I do know if you go to bowseat.org in the very top menu there, there's a button that'll get you right to our gallery. Okay, well, that's great. And also, so, I mean, I want to move towards my last question, favorite question. But before, right before that, I just wanted to check in with you and see if there was anything else that you wanted to add to this conversation about Bowseat, the work that you're doing yourselves, and give you the opportunity just to share whatever, if you feel like there's things that we've missed, or that there's like a very important thing that we didn't like touch upon, please just feel free to jump in right now. <laughs> no. Well, one thing I just was thinking about is what's lovely is that we have our Bowseat alumni actually coming back 
and helping the work that we do. So some of them are judges. Some of them create videos for us. Right now we're having an Instagram takeover from one of our alumni. He's doing a, an amazing job. And I love this circle of, you know, coming back. So that's very cool. And one thing I want to say also, as I'm talking about the gallery, when you, you look on the gallery, there are some really, really impressive pieces on there. There are some very, very talented students out there. If you don't feel like you're able to create that level of work or are not as confident in your work, please do not let that discourage you from participating in the contest. The process of participating and going through the research phase and thinking and brainstorming and creating and reflecting is so much more important than just whether or not you win an award. And you really never know what might resonate with the judges. I think you just really never know what is going to happen in the contest. So we definitely encourage you to apply and you really might surprise yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, who like looks at other people's work and like thinks, like, oh, I'm so much better than that. Like, I mean, I don't know, personally for me, like I do creative work. I do a lot of different types of work. And every time like I compare myself to others, I always feel like I'm less good. So I mean, like definitely that's a great piece of advice to give because no matter what, you'll always compare and like you were saying, like you have no idea what the end product is going to be like. Exactly. Don't count yourself out before before you give it a shot. And yeah, even after you've given it a shot, like you're always your own harshest critic, I find. <laughs> Absolutely, so. for sure. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then let's move to my favorite question, which is basically our tagline is inspiring people, inspiring people. And so I like to ask each and every one of my guests, well, who inspires you? I have to, I, I'm just one of those people. Everybody inspires me. So many people inspire me. And I, I, I don't know, my, perhaps this is a little cliche, and but I will have to say it's the students that we work with. And this is why I do what I do. It started with my daughters. It's really important for me to leave the world in a little bit of a better place for the next generation. And I care deeply about this this next generation. So it's really, for the work that I do is for them. So mine um, is kind of along the same lines, but I would say the teachers and educators that we work with are my heroes. One, we could not do what we do without them. They really help facilitate this contest to their students. And I'm including like sponsors, parents, anyone who's helping their student participate in this contest. And also just thinking about like how much teachers have been juggling these past few years. Like in the best of times, teaching is a really challenging job. But coming after COVID, bringing their students back into the classroom, trying to meet educational standards, all that stuff, and still having the passion and the excitement to bring the contest to their class and get their students excited about ocean advocacy is really, really inspiring to me. Oh, that's really beautiful. And yeah, I mean, the, both of your answers are so incredible. And I'm one of those people who gets inspired by everyone, too. So I can totally relate. <laughs> and this is why I do what I do. <laughs> because I get easily inspired. And I think that it's a powerful emotion to feel because then it really drives to action. So I love when people share with me and with our audience as well, like who inspires them. I think it's so important. Because um, everyone that I interviewed, I'm inspired by. So, 
And then, so our last, our very last question is where can our listeners find you uh, on the internet, off the internet, however you can be connected by, um, and also um, how can people support the work that you're doing, which I think is an important question too. So I can start with where you can find us. We are on pretty much every social media platform, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. And if you search from the bow seat, you'll be able to find us. And also on our website at bowseat.org. And if you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email info, I-N-F-O, at bowseat.org as well. Okay, great. Thank you, Eric. And Linda, would you like to share about how people can support the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's just really simple, just sharing what we do, telling either students or teachers or creative teams about what we're doing. The, The opportunities are great. The scholarships are good. Our Our fellowship program is wonderful. So just spreading the word would be awesome. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for for sharing your time and sharing everything that you're doing and also for the incredible work that you're doing because it's not only inspiring, it's super important. So thanks for having this conversation with me. Thank you for having us. We're really grateful to be able to spread the word about Bowseat and hopefully inspire more young people to participate and use their creative. Thank you for listening to the Inspirer podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe and review our show. It helps us grow our audience. And if you want to know more, check out the article on our website, theinspired.news. And let's stay in touch. Follow us on social media using the handle The Inspirer News. This podcast is hosted and produced by The Inspirer, and the music was produced by Robin Nicoli. See you next week.